If you're new to our church, allow me just to give you a little bit of idea of kind of the mindset behind our church in, in the teaching format. Sundays are full of worship and preaching, and, and we love that. We practice that. We do that on a regular basis. Wednesday evenings across the campus, we have age-specific ministries, children's ministry, uh, student ministry for teenagers, young adult ministry. Uh, there are classes that are taught here in the sanctuary. In fact, at beginning the first of the year, I'm going to be teaching, begin teaching along with our speaking team on prayer, and I'm excited about that. So Wednesday night is a teaching format, and if you're new to our church, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Then, of course, we have small group ministry that happens uh, one Wednesday night a month, and that's a time when we can learn God's Word together, but in a home and connect with other people, and so you'll be hearing more about that as we get into the year of 2022. How many of you are excited about 2022? Come on. Yes. There's great anticipation for what the Lord will do in this next year. Amen. The book of Genesis chapter number 11. You can just remain seated while I read. But I'm going to begin at verse number 27. Genesis chapter 11. <clears throat> Brother Thomas, good to see you, sir. Always good to see Bishop Thomas. We're glad you're here. Amen. So many friends that I see today. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. If you're new to the Bible, when the word begot is used, it just means they had kids. Those are the kids. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, I'm going to read from the 12th chapter in just a moment, but let me just address something that is sometimes talked about and people wonder about. When I finish the last verse of chapter 11 and it says that the days of Terah or his lifespan was 205 years, it's easy just to read that and miss that. Okay? The guy was 205 when he died. People have asked me, well, Pastor, how come people live so much longer? They bring up people like Methuselah, live 969 years. How come they live so long? And there's debates about this, and people have opinions about this. Some people believe that uh, when sin entered the world, it began a degradation of everything. And it did, there's no doubt about that. But one of the things that you see happen over time, his lifespans began to decrease. 
because of the effect of sin. And so we go from the 900s to the 700s, and then in Terah's case to the 200s. But one of his children was named Abram. And so let's go to the 12th chapter and verse number 1. Just keep reading in your Bible. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a profound thing that is to say that over somebody. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I have asked the Lord for direction today on what to preach to this church, and here's how the prayer went. God, what do you want to say to the people that will gather together on December the 5th, 2021? Because I am not interested in just what I think but if I believe that God is God and he knows us, he created us, and he is very aware of where we're all at, then he's got something specific to say to us today. Now, when you say specific, pastor, what are you talking about? Everybody take your finger and point at yourself, including me. He's got something to say to me. Would you say that right now? He's got something to say to me. Every one of us individually in this house today, I want to... Just preach for a little bit on the call. Everybody say the call. <clears throat> Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. They are the three major players in the faith world on the earth today. They are varied and seemingly not interwoven at all. And yet, there is one event that finds its way into the Torah of Hebrew Scriptures, the Holy Bible, and the Koran. It even finds its way into Hindu mythology texts. Do you know what that event is? The one that is in all of them is the story of a great and all-encompassing flood. A flood so enormous in scope that it killed all living beings on the earth, save just a few. It's in our Bibles that we have in our laps or on our phones today in Genesis chapter 7 where the scriptures declare that in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of that month, on that day, everybody say that day. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now just for a moment, allow ourselves to think about the catastrophic effects of it raining for 40 days 
and 40 nights. Really, it's beyond what you and I can even understand. Because there have been a time or two in 30 years that I've lived in this state that it has rained consistently for a couple of days. Or when you get the outer band of a hurricane that comes up near Arkansas, it can rain for three days, four days. I want you to think about your yard. And I want you to think about those low places that only are seen when it rains a lot. I want you to think about in your backyard that ridge of grass clippings that only shows up when water pushes it when it rains. And you walk out in your backyard and you think, well, it got about that far. It has to rain a lot to, for that to happen. And yet I'm not talking about, and the Bible is not teaching about a two or three day rain or a three or four day rain, but for 40 days, 40 nights, it just kept raining and kept raining and kept raining and kept raining. This tale of destruction and yet great mercy toward mankind must have been passed down. The story from one generation to the next. Noah, the principal figure, the one to whom it happened, and Shem, one of his boys, they knew firsthand about the flood. But without doubt, they gathered Shem's son, Arphaxed, close by one night and said, Son, I need to tell you about God's provision during the flood. And Arphaxed told his son, Selah. And Selah reported it to his son, Eber. And Eber talked about the flood to his son, Peleg. Have mercy on your children. Don't name your son Peleg, for goodness sake. But they did. And Peleg had a boy named Ryu, and Ryu had a boy named Serug, and Serug had a boy named Nahor, and Nahor had a boy named Terah, and Terah had a boy named Abram. Ten generations removed from the ark builder we find an altar builder named Abram. You see, Noah was Abram's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Ten generations of hearing a call from God to build a boat out of gopher wood, to make rooms in that ark, to cover it inside and outside with pitch. Now, Noah, you got to get this. It's got to be 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high, and there's going to be one window in the ark. There's going to be a door on the side. You've got to make three decks in the ark for the animals and for the human family. And the Bible says, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. It is embedded in this Old Testament passage, a principle 
that I think carries through the rest of Scripture and echoes in this room on Sunday morning, and it is this. God does not arbitrarily make us do anything. God is not going to show up on Sunday morning and whether we want to or not, make us worship Him. He's not going to pick up my arm and raise it for me. He's not going to open my mouth and speak words out for me. He is looking for somebody that is listening for His call. He is looking for somebody to hear the whisper in your spirit. Come on and praise me a little bit. Come on and worship me a little bit. And blessed is the man. And blessed is the woman that trains their ear to hear the voice of God calling to them. And then steps out and acts upon that. It's why Jesus spoke it clearly. In Revelation chapter 3, as John recorded, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and I will dine with him and he with me. Jesus is standing at the door today and he is knocking on our door Jesus is in Cabot on Sunday morning in the middle of a worship service at New Life in Cabot and he has come knocking on a door today. Jesus is going to be like the hound of heaven all week long and when we get up in the morning there's going to be a knock on our door of our heart saying I've got something for you if you'll just open up to me. I've got an intended purpose for you if you'll just respond to me. He's called calling today. He's calling. He's calling. This is why perhaps it wasn't altogether strange when Abram heard the Lord. Ten generations removed from Noah. And that same God said, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. It was the call the call now there are some things about the call that are so important for me to understand and i i hope by extension for you to understand today number one the call means that i cannot stay where i am at he does not call us to stay right here. He does not call men and women and young people and young adults and young marrieds and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm calling you, but where you're at is fine. The call, according to Scripture, means I cannot stay where I am at. He said, Abram, I've got a blessing coming your way. I've got an intended future for you. I've got something beyond what you could ever imagine. I know you're 75 years old, but I've got something for your life. I've got a direction and an intention for your existence. You are meant to do more than simply occupy seat space. You are intended to have a call upon your life and a purpose for your life. 
And God is here for you, Abram. Abram, you can't stay in your country. I know you're here and I know you're comfortable and you probably moved in your house and you've got all the nice little things, the curtains on the windows and the nice little dish towels and you got the Christmas tree already set up and you got everything set and it's all comfortable and it's nice. But Abram, I'm calling you and when I call you, you cannot stay where you're at right now. It demands movement. Listen, the call of God is not just audio. The call of God pushes us to move. The call of God pushes me to act. The call of God pushes me to respond. That's why in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, Simon Peter and Andrew are fishing. And Jesus' call to them demanded that they not stay near the shore and the fishing tackle any longer. They had to move. This is why, everybody look right up here. This is why it is right to respond to preaching. Okay, let me take a time out here. Just in case you think that the reason why pastor says that is because I just love the ego trip it gives me when I preach something and people go, amen. No. Because I can preach in a library. I can be, you all could sit here, I promise you, I promise you, you could sit here and just stare a hole in my forehead and never open your mouth. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to preach exactly what God gave me for this service today. But here's the thing, here's what I know. I am liable to preach two and a half hours without a little bit of help. But if you'll give me a little bit of help, we'll go about 40 minutes and we'll go eat pot roast, all right? Some of y'all should have been jumping over chairs right there on that one. But amens and hallelujahs and waving a hand and nodding a head, that is so much more than some Pentecostal catechism that we go through. It is signaling something to God. I am hearing what you are saying, God. And I am refusing to stay where I'm at. I am responding and I'm hearing your call. Come on, I think everybody that would like to respond right now ought to take just a moment and thank God that he's calling today. I wish you'd take a moment and thank God that his voice is in this house today and his call is in this house today. He is speaking in this place. It's why we move in worship services. It's why we lift hands in worship services. It's why we pace back and forth and jump up and down and dance in the spirit and rejoice and go pray for people. It's why we do that in services. Why? Because when there's a call from heaven, it demands that we not stay where we are at. It is an invitation to go somewhere that God has prepared for us. Everybody say the call. Now, I have to make sure we get this today. Number two. Every call will have an opportunity for distraction. This is biblical. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, watch this, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, on the surface, that sounds absurd. On the surface, that sounds callous. But what Jesus is teaching here is a principle that every call will of necessity also be accompanied by potential distractions. See, the enemy of our soul, brothers and sisters and friends today, the enemy of our soul does not mind if we become distracted in the purpose of God. Because if we can become distracted, if Tim Gaddy can become distracted in the purpose of God, I get my eyes off of what he's calling me to. This is one of the killers of, of, of purpose. This is one of the killers of the call of God is distraction. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I can see in my mind's eye that young man, as Jesus was listing them, ticking them off. Got that one. Got that one. Check. Check. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect... Go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now I will just say this and I don't think it's going to bend the scripture at all. That last verse, verse 22 perhaps could also be worded, great possessions had him. Something kept him from answering the call. Something distracted him from answering the call. Something got in the way of answering the call. Now, I don't know if I have ever said this in a public setting. In fact, I don't think I have. But you would not believe the number of times when a preacher gets done preaching and there's a call to action that babies start crying. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I wish I was spiritual enough to figure that out. But I do know there is always an opportunity, and please, lest you think I'm telling you that the devil is, is directing our kids. <laughs> I'm not. But what I am saying is this. There are people here today that are hearing something from God. And you're sensing a direction from the Lord. You may not have it all figured out, but you know God is stirring something up inside of us. 
Can I tell you something? Do not let anything distract you from that purpose. Can I just come alongside you and with the credibility that I have or don't have with you tell you that is God calling you? That is God calling you. That is God beckoning for you. That is God saying there's more for you. There's greater revelation for you. There's greater understanding for you. Please do not become distracted. and Live our lives in a distracted state where we make excuses and we push it off and say that was for somebody else. No, I feel it today. God is calling for somebody. He's calling. He's calling. The key to following the call is to focus. Focus on what he's saying. Number three, the path to God's call will always be littered with things left behind. Now this one was an aha moment when I saw this in scripture. Every time Jesus called his disciples... If you look in the background, you will see things that they laid down. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, when Jesus calls Matthew, the Bible says Matthew got up from the tax table and followed after Jesus. And now in the wake of the call of Jesus is an empty tax table. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 20, when Peter calls Peter and Andrew to follow him, the Bible says they left their nets and followed after him. Just two verses later, the Bible says not only did they leave their nets, but they left that awesome fishing boat that they'd spent a lot of money on. And they left it behind and followed after Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 22, there was another thing that, that James and John left behind. They left their father in the boat. Testing, one, two, three. Do, do you get that? Dad, who has spent his last... 25, 30 years teaching his boys how to fish, buying them the greatest in equipment, them taking the family picture in the boat, and then a, a man walks across a dusty trail in Galilee and says, follow me. And his boys get up out of that boat that he's still making payments on. Leave their nets and leave their daddy behind to follow after this man named the Christ. Because hear me, folks, there will always be things. We cannot go where Jesus is calling us with everything in our life right now. It's going to require me to lay some stuff down. Lay some ideas down. Lay some agendas down. Lay some beliefs down. Lay some relationships down. To follow him. Let me finish just very quickly. Finally, in scripture, the call of God always points to a destination called faith. 
And this is the one that is the most difficult sometimes. I want you to see this in your Bible. I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 12. I know we put a lot of scriptures on the screen today, but I want you to see this in your Bible if you would. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number one. And BJ, would you put that first verse on the screen, please? Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house. You can't stay here. You got to leave some things behind. You got to focus on my call. Watch this last phrase right here. To a land that I will show you. Okay? Now, some of you have heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it for those who haven't heard this. It is, in my experience, God's call will always be precise enough for us to take a step forward. But he will always leave it foggy enough to require faith. That's good preaching. Pastor, if God would show up and write it on the wall, I'm signing up for it. Well, of course, because that wouldn't require faith. If God would send somebody to say, now is your time for a life change. Okay? Now is your time for a life change. So he said that. But in the declaration, there always is the moment of response. And I'm going to choose to step into what I don't know to access all that God has prepared for me. I wish there was a way. I felt so burdened in my spirit early this morning that I wish there was a way that I could come and open up everybody's brain right now. I wish there was a way humanly possible for me to deposit what I'm feeling into your spirit right now. I wish you would trust this preacher right now. Everything is not spelled out when God calls us. Everything is not declared in full detail when God calls us. We may not know the end destination, but as sure as you and I are in this building this morning, you can have confidence in this Jesus. You can have confidence in this Savior that what he calls us to, he is able to perform. He is able to direct. He is able to help. He's able. He calls us. And he said, Abram, leave. Get out of your country. Okay, great. I'm going to the rider place. I'm going to rent a truck, and I need to tell them where I'm headed. Okay, just tell them you'll get back to them on that. Because I'm not going to show you that right now. I just want to know, are you willing to take a step? Are you willing to step out? Are you willing to go forward? Are you willing to trust me right now? Are you willing to say, hey, I, I, I'm in this with you, Lord. Lead on, Lord. Lead on, Lord. Lead on, Lord. I'll show you, Abram, if you'll start walking. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 4, the last words that God spoke to Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth and save you. But he never told Noah where the ark was going to end up. 
He said, just build the ark, get in the ark, and trust me. Just listen to my voice. Just trust that I know the way that you're taking. Just trust that I have your life in my eye right now. Just trust me that I can be trusted. John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas, a lot like us, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't need a destination. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I don't need the end result to be heralded across the wall. I got to keep my eyes on Jesus. But friends, if you and I will keep our eyes on Jesus, he will direct us and he will walk with us and he will show the way. He will. He will. He will. I was 12 years old, and um, I went over to my Aunt Betty's house. I grew up in suburban Chicago. I went over to my Aunt Betty's house one day, and um, she was watching basketball. She was always a cool aunt because she liked the stuff I liked. And she was watching basketball. And um, there was a team playing, and it was in their home gym. And I looked on the TV, and in the middle of their court was a picture of their mascot painted on the court, which is not unusual. But they didn't have, like, words around, like, what university or what college it was. And it was the strangest-looking mascot. I had never seen one like it. And so I asked my Aunt Betty, I said, Aunt Betty, what is that? And she, uh, she got up there, kind of, you know how. She said, oh, yeah, yeah. That's what's called a razorback. I said, razor what? She said, yeah, it's a razorback. I said, well, that didn't help me any. What is a Razorback? So she looked it up. Now, this is long before the Internet, so we actually had to look at an encyclopedia that she had. And she looked up Razorback, and she said, a Razorback. Tim, this says, a Razorback is a wild hog. God is my witness. The next phrase out of my mouth as a 12-year-old is, who in the name of common sense would attach that mascot to their university. <laughs> and I think if I would have been listening very closely, there was a giggle up in heaven. <laughs> what you mock today, you will root for in the future. So, 
So fast forward six years, and it was six days after I turned 18, and I was at a youth camp, a church youth camp, and I had gone down to the front, and I was praying, because that's what you do at youth camp, which is what you do. And so I was kneeling down next to a metal folding chair, crying my eyes out, because that's what you do at youth camp. Preachers preach, students pray, you cry, you snot, you hug up with one another, you have a great time in God. And I'm snotting and crying and talking to Jesus, and tears are dripping down on the metal folding chair, very emotional moment for me. And in my mind's eye, and it wasn't an out-of-body experience, but in my mind's eye, as sure as I'm sitting here on this platform right now, I saw a pulpit, and I saw me standing behind the pulpit giving it one of these. Now, if you thought I was crying before that happened, just wait for God to drop that little bomb on me. And I just, Tom, man, I just lost it. I just, I just became a basket case. I just crying and heaving and, you know, people are coming up, well-meaning people are coming up, oh, God, lift this burden off of Tim. <laughs> Giving me that back rub, you know, that stuff. And inside I'm going, leave me alone, leave me alone. And so I went to my parents and I told my parents about what I had experienced at the altar and... Then I went to my pastor and told my pastor what I'd experienced at the altar. And my pastor looked at me, and here's what he said. I'm just squalling and bawling in his office. Pastor, I felt a call to ministry in this camp, and I'm just squalling and bawling. And he looked at me, and he said, well, it's about time. You know, through tears, I said, what do you mean, pastor? He said, God spoke that to me two years ago. And inside of me, I'm going, what? And you didn't tell me? But he read my mind. He said, I wasn't going to tell you because man doesn't call man. God calls man. But as your spiritual authority, God spoke to me two years ago and told me he was going to call you into ministry, specifically preaching and teaching ministry. And so I decided then that I was going to forego, this is my story, my secular education, my car. I'm not painting that as some special sacrifice that I made. But when you respond to the call of God, there will always be things you leave behind. I decided I'm just going to go for it. Took me to California. Graduated from California in college. Started preaching and traveling and evangelizing, preaching at churches. One of the churches I preached at was in Little Rock back in 1992, the fall of 1992. I preached there, and I didn't know this, but they were looking for a youth pastor, and the pastor came up to me at the end of the revival. He said, have you ever thought about being a youth pastor? You want to settle down and come here? We'd love to have you come here. Long story short, I prayed, had a couple other options, prayed about it, felt to go to Little Rock. And it wasn't but a few years after I'm sitting in Little Rock as a youth pastor, Jeff, that the boy at 12 years old laughing at the Razorback went back in my mind. And I'm thinking, ho, oh, ho, ho, you have got a great sense of humor. <laughs> Our musicians can come. I'm done. Everybody, would you look right here? 
listen. I tried to bear my heart today. And I don't know everybody that God is talking to today. But he is talking to some people right now. There's some people in this room right now, the greatest thing you could do is show up here the next time we have church. Want to know why? Because God's calling you to step into following him on a regular basis. Oh, what if I fall, pastor? What if I slip? Get up, dust yourself off, get back in the fight. The greatest thing that some could do in this room right now is explore the scriptures, examine the scriptures, find out what God is challenging you about in the scriptures, get in a home Bible study, connect with someone, get with someone, submit your life to somebody, and watch God make a way. I've been praying for these students today. I walked around this sanctuary today, and I prayed for every single one of you. I am preaching to you right now. It would amaze you what God has for your life. If you seek him first and you not get distracted, don't get distracted by money. Don't get distracted by jobs. Don't get distracted by carnal relationships. Don't get distracted by people that say you can't be a world changer. You can be a world changer. God can use you. God can come into your life. You say, well, my daddy doesn't serve God. It's not about lineage. It's not about heritage. It's about availability to him right now. He can take some of you and send you overseas to be a missionary. He can give some of you the best job to where you can fund kingdom work right here in North America. Some of you can be church planters. Some of you, God can put a singing ministry that you sing and bless, anoint people. He'll anoint you in ways that are far beyond what you could ever imagine. Say, well, Brother Gaddy, I want to stay here. I'm a mama's boy. <laughs> be God's first. Whew. Let's pray right now. I don't even know how to close this out. Let's pray right now. I, I just however you want to pray, would you just talk to Jesus right now? However you want to pray, I wish you'd just talk to Jesus right now. He, he's, he's calling today. He's calling some people in here to be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You've seen others do it. He's calling to you today. He's calling today. His call is on this house today. God, we want to respond to your call. Let's stand together right now and just begin to pray. Come on, if you want to, just slip your hands up. If you want to, just lift your voice up. Let's talk to Jesus right now. Hallelujah. Come on, young adults. If you'll respond to the call, he'll show you who you need to marry. If you'll respond to the call, he'll show you what job to take. If you'll respond to the call, he'll show you the direction your life will bring. If you respond to his call, he'll do what you can't do. He'll lead in ways you, you would just marvel you if you'll just respond to his call. Come on, I see some young men lifting up their voice to the Lord. I see some young men lifting up their spirit to the Lord right now. I see some children responding to the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let's do something we haven't done before. Let's step out in a way we haven't stepped out before. Let's pray this week in a way we haven't prayed before.
Come on, his call is here. His call is here. His call is here. It'll amaze you what'll happen, the people he'll bring in your life, the connections that he'll bring, if we'll just respond to his call. You know what, look around right now. Maybe there's someone on the road next to you right now that is responding to the Lord. And I wish you'd just let the spirit of ministry come upon you. Come on, I know there's people coming forward right now, but can we make this entire sanctuary an altar call right now? Can we make this entire place a, a sanctuary of prayer right now? Come on, maybe you want to reach over and grab the hand of somebody and say, come on, you can do it. You can respond to God's call. You can respond to God's call. Hallelujah.